Hello, uh, welcome to another embryology podcast. Um, this podcast is going to be about endocrine embryology, and it's a lecture I gave recently, but I'm going to give it in a slightly different format. So I've got oh, 60 odd slides to get through in preferably less than 30 minutes, preferably around 25 minutes. I don't think the lecture took that long. Um, and this rambling probably isn't going to help, but there you go. Um, people are listening to these. Apparently some of you are finding them useful, so I will continue. Um, the current order might be a little bit out of um, order with the rest of the embryology series, but um, that's because it's far easier for me to convert lectures that I deliver into podcasts than it is to create new podcasts from lectures I don't deliver, but I am working on them, and uh, we'll get there eventually. Right, okay, so when we talk about the endocrine system, we're really talking about a collection of organs um, spread around the body, um, many of which you're aware of and we've met in other areas. For example, the pancreas. I'll talk about the pancreas probably as the last organ of this lecture. And we met that when we talked about the development of the um, gut. Other endocrine organs would be the thyroid, parathyroid glands. I'll include those. The pituitary gland, I'll mention. Um... The thymus gland, I will mention its development. Uh, the adrenal glands, I'll talk about that. And the other biggies, I guess, would be the ovary, the ovaries and the testes, which I won't talk about because those will be discussed in the embryology of the reproductive system lecture or podcast. So really, today we've got um, four endocrine glands to talk about. Pituitary gland, thyroid gland, suprarenal gland, and the endocrine part of the pancreas. So yeah, I'll briefly mention function maybe, but that's really left best to um, other people. I'll talk about how these structures form. So what's the importance then of understanding the embryology of these uh, endocrine organs? Well, clearly they're um, vital to life. A better understanding of how they develop helps you understand why they don't develop normally, like most other tissues and structures that we talk about. And abnormal development of these tissues is likely to have um, important clinical implications. Also, in some cases, um, an understanding of the development of these structures helps you understand how they function. So then we become better able to link uh, structure, function and development and give you a better understanding of these organs and the human body as a whole. Okay, so you know where the pituitary gland is by now. It's in your head. Um, it's in the sphenoid bone, sat in the cella turcica, this little hollow. And it's in the adult then, it's sat pretty much between the nasal cavity, the nasopharynx, and the cavity for the brain, you know, the inside the skull. So think about that during development. What have we got? Well, okay, if we go back to the primitive gut tube, where the gut tube opens at the head end, at the cephalic end, um, you've got a future mouth, right? Um, stomadium, the future mouth. And there's a membrane closing off the gut tube from the external environment, as it were, uh, the buccopharyngeal membrane. Within the stomadium, a collection of cells, so within the roof of the future mouth, of the developing mouth, just 
in front of the buccopharyngeal or oropharyngeal membrane, so effectively outside the gut tube, in the ectoderm layer, a um, collection of cells begin to migrate, begin to uh, evaginate kind of into the roof of the mouth. And then they're starting to differentiate at this point as well. At the same time then, within the diencephalon, within the uh, the space that's going to form the future brain that's starting to form parts of the central nervous system, another similar group of cells from the neuroectoderm are also starting to migrate into the, into say, the floor of the brain cavity, i.e. they're moving towards the, uh, the cells that are moving upwards from the mouth. The cells in the mouth moving up towards the brain are called... Um, they form the hypophyseal diverticulum, also known as Rathke's pouch. The cells that are moving down from the brain are, um, they make up the neurohypophyseal diverticulum. And this all kicks off at about three weeks. So, by about five weeks, these two groups of cells begin to meet. And the infundibulum, the cells um, from the neurohypophyseal diverticulum, start to gather around the cells of the hypophyseal diverticulum, those cells that have moved up from the mouth. Uh, as time progresses, whilst the cells of the hypophyseal diverticulum were still connected to the um, the future mouth, the future roof of the mouth by a kind of a stalk of cells, that stalk begins to regress. So there's this collection of cells which becomes separated then from the roof of the mouth. And they're starting to become surrounded by the cells from the brain. So the cells of the hypophyseal diverticulum become isolated and become kind of surrounded by the cells from the uh, neurohypophyseal diverticulum. Um... So by about eight weeks, we're starting to see some of the adult layout. We're starting to see some formation of the bone as well around these cells. Um, the hypophyseal stalk is gone. We're starting to see what would then become the anterior lobe of the pituitary gland, i.e. those are the cells from the hypophyseal diverticulum from the roof of the mouth. And we're starting to see a posterior lobe, um, i.e. those are the cells from the um, developing brain. Um, with proliferation and further differentiation, then these cells start to um, take on the structures and functions of the adult pituitary gland. Uh, to mention briefly, um, the differences then between the two parts, the, um, the adenohypothesis is indirectly connected to the brain, indirectly connected to the hypothalamus um, uh, via blood vessels. And... This is the anterior part of the, the anterior lobe of the uh, pituitary gland. These are cells from the, you know, essentially from the roof of the mouth. Uh, these cells have differentiated then to secrete uh, hormones such as uh, somatotrophin, growth hormone, prolactin, ACTH, luteinizing hormone, um, FSH, uh, TSH, and so on and so on. Um, whereas the cells in the neurohypophysis, in the posterior lobe of the pituitary gland, are directly connected to the hypothalamus um, by neurons, um, because of course these cells have come from the brain, so they're, they've got this ability to be directly connected to the um, hypothalamus. Um, and... These cells have differentiated to produce 
hormones, um, the hormones oxytocin and vasopressin, which are then stored in neuron terminals and released into circulation with excitation of those neurons, as I understand it. Um, if you were to look at the histology of the pituitary gland, you would clearly see the anterior part of the pituitary gland looks very, very different to the posterior um, lobe. The anterior lobe has got a lot of tightly packed cells. The posterior lobe has got a lot of cells surrounded by um, non, yeah, um, kind of connected tissue. They look very, very different. It's clear to see that they've developed from two different sources. Um, and indeed, we have two different two types of tissue. So here's this theme I was talking about. We've got one endocrine gland made up of two parts, each part having a different function, each part having developed from a different embryological origin. And yet they've come together to form the one structure of the pituitary gland, which is interesting. Okay, pituitary gland done. Thyroid gland next. You all know where the thyroid gland is. You know that the thyroid gland has important effects upon metabolism and uh, controlling rate of metabolism. Your thyroid gland is very, very important. Like most endocrine glands, you can't function without them. Um, if you didn't have enough thyroid tissue, you would, you would be dependent on drugs um, for the rest of your life, um, I believe. Now, the thyroid gland is interesting because to talk about the thyroid gland and some of the structures that develop around here, I have to introduce the idea of pharyngeal arches, also known as uh, branchial arches. We tend to use pharyngeal as the more modern term, but branchial arches, pharyngeal arches are both common. Now, the pharyngeal arches are really going to be covered in some detail when we talk about the embryology of the head and neck. They're crucial to development of structures of the head and neck, and that will tie in better to the anatomy teaching then. So really, I'd just like to introduce the pharyngeal arches as, um, yeah, I hate to use the word lumps, but there you go, lumps of um, kind of mesenchymal tissue covered on the outside by um, ectoderm, so that's the you know, the surface of the embryo, and covered on the inside, lined on the inside by kind of an endodermal epithelium. Um, essentially, you know, on the inside, it's the gut tube. But we have these specific shapes of a um, bulge of tissue um, in the region of the developing head and neck which is the pharyngeal arch and associated with it then on the inside are the pharyngeal pouches and on the outside the pharyngeal clefts. It will become later how become clear later how these um, these early embryological structures will form the more complicated structures of the, the head and neck, but suffice to say at the moment they exist. And there are pharyngeal arches one, two, three, four, and six. Five kind of disappears. We talk about one, one, two, three, four, and six. We'll come back to these, this idea in a, a little later. Uh, but to talk about the thyroid gland, then this actually forms. So within, it forms at the spot where the tongue is going to develop, and it actually forms at the, the spot as a small outpouching where the future foramen cecum of the tongue is going to develop. So do you remember those, the V-shape of those big um, papillae? The V-shape of papillae um, and the posterior part of the tongue and the, the post, most posterior part of those papillae is the foramen cecum. That's where the thyroid gland 
starts to develop. And from there, um, cells begin to, again, differentiate and migrate and descend um, down away from, say, the, the base of the gut tube in which they started into um, the tissues descending through the neck. As it descends, it kind of leaves a duct behind it. So by six weeks, we have this migrating thyroid tissue. It's down to about the level of the developing hyoid bone. It's trailing a duct behind it back up to the gut tube, you know, where the tongue is going to form. Um, and by six or seven weeks, the thyroid gland, the cells within it begin to proliferate. It becomes a solid mass. The duct it has trailed behind it begins to degenerate and it starts to, you know, become shaped like the adult tissues where it has a left and right lobe and it has an isthmus uh, connecting the two lobes. So by seven weeks, really, you've got the adult shape um, and you've got the adult location, you know, it's, it's within the neck. So from about 11 weeks onwards, uh, colloid appears in the thyroid follicles and thyroid home hormones start to be synthesized after this and iodine becomes concentrated there. Uh, formation of the thyroid gland is interesting and that idea about migration is interesting because it uh, sometimes that duct doesn't degenerate, so the duct remains. So sometimes um, a duct can remain between the thyroid gland and the tongue, you know, in, in a child. And sometimes the duct may fill with fluid to form a cyst. And this cyst is typically a, a painless, progressively enlarging, movable mass within the midline of the neck. Um, so it's not a serious thing, it's, it's just a cyst. Occasionally, pieces of um, uh, thyroid tissue remain again along that route of descent. You'd have a little bit of thyroid, you know, ectopic thyroid tissue left. Um, in the route of descent um, and occasionally the thyroglossal duct will actually open externally so you might have um, an external duct to the neck so all these structures in the neck may be related to development of the thyroid gland this, and the, this movement of cells and trailing a duct behind them something else you might see is um, a lingual thyroid so like thyroid tissue remaining persisting in the posterior part of the tongue and the thyroid the cells that have started to differentiate there haven't properly descended to the, the you know the adult the normal adult position so you might have um, ectopic thyroid tissue within the tongue bear in mind that sometimes um, these ectopic pieces of thyroid tissue are the only thyroid tissue a patient has now to go back to the pharyngeal arches, this is crucial when we try and talk about the parathyroid glands and also development of part of the thyroid. Okay, the parathyroid glands, remember what they do? They have a crucial role in calcium regulation within the body, and regulation of calcium is again another vital to life function. Um, and if you imagine these, these lumps, these uh, masses of tissue in the developing neck surrounding that early gut tube around the around the developing mouth and developing uh, neck uh, inside on the internal surfaces of the pharyngeal arches we have the pharyngeal pouches so we have again well we have pharyngeal pouches one two three four five um, you should be aware that the inferior parathyroid glands begin to develop from the third 
bone deal pouches on either side. And the superior parathyroid glands begin to develop from the fourth pharyngeal pouches. So third pharyngeal pouch, those cells will form the inferior parathyroid glands. Um, and the uh, fourth pharyngeal pouches, cells there, will form the superior parathyroid glands. Now the third pouch is more cephalic. It's cephalic to the fourth pouch. So clearly the inferior parathyroid glands they're going to have to migrate past the superior parathyroid glands to become the inferior parathyroid glands in the adult tissue. Uh, so at about five weeks, these cells start to develop. Um, they start to differentiate. And between weeks five and seven, these cells uh, begin to differentiate and begin to migrate cordially. So they start to descend. And... If you remember the uh, the thymus gland, which is important to development of the immune system, the thymus gland um, is a gland within the chest. It's larger in childhood and starts to regress as we get older. I mentioned the thymus because uh, the thymus gland develops also from cells of the third pouch and then the cells that are going to form the inferior parathyroid gland migrate with those cells that are going to form the thymus. And as the thymus is descending to the chest, it descends quite a long way, dragging the cells that are going to form the inferior parathyroid gland with it. And then past the cells that are going to form the superior parathyroid gland. Okay? So... The parathyroid glands in the adult are sat on the posterior surface of the thyroid gland. So as they're pulled, as the cells migrate from their original sites, um, they pass to the posterior part of the thyroid gland and, you know, stick on the back of it, adhere to it. So the, uh, the, cells, the, inf the cells that are going to form the inferior parathyroid gland uh, migrate further because they migrate with the thymus essentially. The cells of the thyrus then, thymus then continue on downwards uh, to the chest. Another structure here that's important. In the fourth pharyngeal pouch, cells begin to differentiate, which will form what we call the ultimopharyngeal body or the ultimobranchial body. Now, the ultimopharyngeal body, really, these are cells that differentiate from neural crest cells, our old friends, which go on to differentiate into all sorts of great structures. Um, and these cells also migrate, they also descend. They descend from the area of the fourth pharyngeal pouch to fuse with the thyroid gland. So these cells of the ultimopharyngeal body are going to descend and fuse with the thyroid gland. These cells will then disseminate within the thyroid gland, and they're going to become the parafollicular cells. These are the cells that are going to make calcitonin of the thyroid. So again, look at this. We, we look, we've got another endocrine organ, uh, and if we, I mean, without even looking at the parathyroid um, cells versus the thyroid cells, the thyroid gland itself is made up of cells from two different sites that have come together to function. Similar to what we saw in the pituitary gland a little bit. So there we've mentioned the development of the thyroid gland, the parathyroid glands, and briefly, the thymus gland. 
not doing too badly. Um, so next, we have the suprarenal glands, or as they used to be known, the adrenal glands. Again, you might find both terms common. Now, the suprarenal glands, again, like most endocrine organs, have a beautiful blood supply. They're very vascular. Um, again, it's made of two parts. It has a clear cortex and a clear medulla. And the cortex and the medulla have two different functions. The cortex is involved then... Uh, with production of steroid hormones, with um, various homeostatic functions. You can't live without the cortex of your suprarenal glands. Whereas the medulla is the site of um, production of adrenaline and noradrenaline. Yeah, the adrenal glands, they are the, uh, the source of the fight or flight response. And that fight or flight response comes from the medulla. So, these guys are sat on top of the kidneys. Um... And in development, they begin as kind of condensations of cells. So cells are starting to come together um, as mesothelial cells proliferate. Mesothelial cells are the cells lining the embryonic um, abdominal cavity. If, if you see what I mean. So there's an abdominal cavity which with, within which the gut tube runs and the cells lining that cavity, uh, cavity are the mesothelial cells. They proliferate, they penetrate the mesenchyme, you know, the embryonic connective tissue, um, and they come together to form these condensations of a part of the future suprarenal glands. They begin then to differentiate into uh, specific cell types. This is occurring then around five weeks. Um, at the same time, we have another collection of cells from uh, the developing sympathetic ganglia. So our old friends, the neural crest cells, are migrating um, kind of ventrally towards these migrating mesothelial cells to come together within the mesenchyme. Aha. Uh -huh. So what have we got? Um, at six weeks then, this primitive cortex forms this this group of cells from the mesothelium, these cells come together and differentiate. By seven weeks then, those neural crest cells from the sympathetic ganglion, also known as chromaffin cells, because of the way they, they stain, um, they migrate towards that fetal cortex group of cells, stick to it, and start to migrate into the centre of it by about week eight. Um, at the same time then, there's a second group of mesothelial cells from the lining of the embryonic abdominal cavity. These migrate in again to surround um, that uh, fetal cortex group of cells. Those are going to go on to form the definitive, you know, the permanent final adult cortex. And the cells of the fetal cortex are kind of going to go by the wayside um, once their job is done. Um, as time goes on, the cells of the medulla, so the cells, you know, the, the, develop, the cells from the neural crest, those get completely encapsulated within the cortex. Um, and then the zones of the cortex begin to form. The zona fasciculata, then the zona glomerulosa, then uh, kind of at birth, we have those two zonas, fasciculata and glomerulosa, uh, and the fetal cortex has almost disappeared. But by birth then, we don't actually have the adult structure of the suprarenal glands yet. By a year old, a year uh, by a year old, um, the fetal cortex is pretty much gone. 
Uh, and by four years old, the fetal cortex is completely gone. We're starting to see an adult structure, but this is only at four years old. Uh, and then the zona reticularis develops. We have the three zones of the cortex and the, um, the medulla forming the adult structures that we, we, we'd recognize histologically. Uh, the suprarenals at four years old are actually smaller than they were at birth. Um, the development of the suprarenals in early life is very important to um, development of the genitalia because of their androgen secretions, because of their role there. So problems in development of the suprarenal glands and early life problems can have effects on um, other developmental processes there. So here we have, again, if you were to look at these different layers and the cortex versus the medulla, you'd see quite different cell types. They look different histologically. And the cells of the cortex then are going to be involved in regulation of salt and water balance and carbohydrate metabolism and sex hormones and sexual development and so on. Whereas the cells of the medulla, as I said, are going to be producing adrenaline and noradrenaline releasing into the bloodstream, bloodstream when required in the fight or flight response. So two groups of cells, kind of, medulla versus cortex, again, having two quite different roles and having two different origins. Uh, cells of the medulla coming from the sympathetic nervous system, from neural crest cells, um, cells from the cortex uh, coming from, say, the mesothelium. Okay, suprarenal glands done. And I'm coming up to my self-imposed time limit. And that's fine because the last endocrine organ that I want to talk about is the pancreas. And we've already talked about the pancreas in um, development of the gut. And you will remember that the pancreas forms as two separate buds. There's a dorsal bud and a ventral bud from the foregut tube, the, fore, the foregut part of the, the early gut tube. Uh, they form from endoderm, forming between layers of the mesentery. And you will remember that the stomach dilates and rotates to give you know, the future C-shaped curve of the duodenum that we know. And as it rotates, it takes the ventral pancreatic bud and drags it around to meet the dorsal pancreatic bud, where they fuse and live happily ever after. And the two, um, the two ducts, because each bud had its own duct, they come together and they both duct normally um, as the main pancreatic duct with the bile duct at the major papilla and an accessory pancreatic duct may persist cephalic to the the main duct if that second or if if the original duct doesn't uh, doesn't uh, break down now an interesting difference here is that this organ then the pancreas it has an exocrine function and it has an endocrine function and the exocrine function is to help digestion by squirting uh, appropriate chemicals into the duodenum right whereas the endocrine portion is to um, have a role in a glucose metabolism uh, monitoring uh, homeostasis of glucose levels right and glucose storage the cells involved in that then are the cells that we see in the islets of Langerhans, 
And these cells actually develop from exactly the same cells as the exocrine portion. They just take, they're just signaled to take an alternate differentiation pathway. So we, we've got this mixed organ, the pancreas is an exocrine and an endocrine organ, and unlike the other organs we've looked at uh, in this uh, podcast today, the cells don't come from two separate sources, two separate sources. They come together from one source and they differentiate through two different lines to produce two different types of cells, which is interesting. Um, so some timings then uh, to add to that, those cells um, of the endocrine portion of the pancreas, then they're, they're kind of making insulin around week 10, they're making glucagon around week 15. Um, so they're, they're active fairly early on. Okay, so those are many parts of the endocrine system. As I mentioned, the testes and the ovaries you'll meet in the embryology of the reproductive system. But I think we've done quite well. And that really hasn't taken too long at all. Um, as usual, I really hope that was useful. It seems to be. Um, you guys are commenting, commenting to me that you, uh, you use these audio descriptions. Um, it's difficult for me to see how well I can describe shapes and structures. So they've got to be linked into textbooks, lectures, and also, you know, and other images. So I'm trying to include more and more images within the enhanced versions of these podcasts, which although you're looking at them, they're very, very small. Hopefully they, they help in the descriptions that I talk about. Right. Speak to you next time. Bye bye.